Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, August 27th, 2021. came across an article this morning that quoted a Gallup survey and said the results of the survey showed that people are more stressed, worried, and angry than ever. And what I found interesting was the date of this article was January 2020. And I couldn't help but think to myself, man, if people were more stressed, worried, and angry then at the beginning of 2020, well, where are people now as we start to get into the fall of 2021? It certainly is a frustrating world out there. And some of that, rightfully so, there are things going on in our world all over the world that as a Christian, they, they should frustrate us. That They should be a source of sadness to us. There's things that as an American that you look at and should be frustrated by. But when we look at the New Testament, is frustration what is supposed to kind of be the dominant theme of the Christian life? Uh, Even recently at our church, we've gone through John 13 through 16, looking at these passages and Jesus talking to his disciples the night before uh, he's going to be crucified. And he makes it clear, tough times are coming. In the world, you will have trouble. There will be bad, frustrating things going on in the world. But what he says should dominate us in those chapters are things like peace, joy, love. These are the things that even in a very frustrating world should characterize the lives of believers. And one thing we also see throughout the scripture is that God's people should be characterized by thanksgiving and thankful hearts. So how can we do that? In a world that is so frustrating, how can we not be known for our frustration, but be known for our thankfulness and known for our gratitude and really known for that because that's what's dominating our hearts, that even in this frustrating world, frustration isn't what's dominating our hearts, gratitude is. How do we do that? Well, let's start today by going to Psalm 103. And we're going to start this magnificent psalm just with a very uh, simple and short passage of it, the opening in verses 1 through 5. Let me just read these verses for us. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so as you think through those things, what should be dominating our hearts is blessing the Lord with all that is within us. Bless his holy name. The world may be frustrating, but God is not. He is holy and he deserves our wholehearted gratitude. And what we need to do as we live in a world where there's so many frustrating things going on around us, we need to, as it says in verse two, forget not all his benefits. We need to make sure that we are more mindful of the benefits of God and more of our focus is there than just kind of going down the rabbit hole of being frustrated about whether it's 
personal things in our lives and our own circumstances, whether that's national or international things, whatever it may be, uh, we're more focused on the benefits that God has given us. And we're not letting our circumstances make us forget about the benefits that God has given. And so I want you to uh, look at these things. And even I would encourage you as you pray today uh, to really go slowly through verses three through five and prayerfully consider those things and give thanks to God for them. Give thanks to the God who forgives all your iniquity. I mean, if you stop and think about your sin for a moment, it should be overwhelming. You should even start to feel, you know, when you think about your sin, those senses of guilt and shame kind of creeping up. But then you can say, no, no, I don't need to feel that guilt or shame anymore because I have been forgiven. You should be able to say more personally what we often sing at our church, my sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And next, you should think about how God has healed all your diseases. And healing is something that sometimes we're afraid of because, you know, we've seen it used and abused by some preacher on cable television, you know, that's putting on a farce of quote unquote healing people. But here we see God heals all your diseases. And that's where we should think anytime you were sick and you got better, what happened? God healed you. Don't just give the credit to your immune system. Don't just give credit to antibiotics or or something else that might have helped you. No, who made all of that? God did. God healed you. And so we should thank God for the physical health that we have. And even though you might say, well, who heals all your diseases, but aren't I going to die someday if Jesus doesn't come back and get me? Yes, you will. But even then, God will heal you because you will be raised from the dead. So take time to think about God blessing you in that way. And then it says, who redeems your life from the pit. Do you ever stop and think about where you would be if Jesus hadn't saved you? Well, let me summarize where you would be if Christ didn't save you. The pit, right? Your life would be a mess in all kinds of different ways without the redeeming grace of Christ in your life. And he has saved you from the pit that you would be in without him. And instead of your life being in the pit, he has instead crowned you with steadfast love and mercy. Can you think about all the ways that you've seen God's love and mercy in your life? And then who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Consider the times where God has just renewed you and he has restored you. And you have felt that revival that can only come from God in your soul. So take time to think about those things. And yes, you know, next time you look at the headlines, it's still going to be frustrating. And there are things we should be frustrated about, but let's not let those things dominate our hearts and our lives as we forget not all the benefits of the Lord. Let's move on now to the New Testament and 1 Timothy chapter 2. And here we'll see something interesting. I mean, one thing that's often a source of frustration to people is kind of looking out at the world and even looking into the realm of politics. Uh, That can often be a very frustrating thing to observe. But here we're given an important reminder as Christians, starting at the beginning of the passage, it says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So there it reminds us we need to pray for our leaders. And even it's, I find it very interesting. We get the sense of supplications, prayers, kind of praying for them as they make decisions, even intercessions. As it goes on to talk about God wanting people to get saved, I think we should be praying for the salvation of our leaders and our seating on their behalf. But it also even just says thanksgivings be made for all people. So we should pray and even to some extent pray with thanksgiving for our leaders in this world. Whether you think of all the way from you know local positions to national positions, we should pray faithfully for those people. And that's where sometimes we might be praying for someone that we are very frustrated with. We might even be praying for somebody that is openly advocating for things that are not right, that are not good, that are not godly, or even against God. But we should be faithfully praying for those people. We need to take care that our frustrations don't keep us from faithfully praying. And it gives us a sense of what God's goal for us is there in verse 3, that we might or in verse two, rather, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now that can get kind of interesting, even as this is written, they're not really living in societies where they have any element of democracy or representation. It's very much, there's authority and they rule with an iron fist. Um, Where now, especially in our cultural context in the United States of America, we have the ability to vote. We have freedom of speech. We can support candidates, support ideas. We can speak about those things. So what does it mean then for us to live in a peaceful and quiet way and be godly and dignified? Does that mean we have to forfeit our right to all those things? Well, absolutely not, I would say, but still it should influence the way we go about those things. We shouldn't be known for being people that always want to be disagreeing or arguing just for the sake of arguing. Uh, For the most part, we should seek to be peaceful and quiet. And I think even when we are known for taking a stand, it shouldn't just be for something that's my preference or my convenience, but really, no, I'm, I'm trying to promote what I think is really true and just and righteous and good and really something that honors God. Those are the things I want to be known for taking a stand for. And so maybe some of that helps us operate again in a frustrating world, being people though that are characterized by thankfulness and also people that are very faithful to pray. And we're reminded that some of the frustrations we feel are because God is not being honored as he should. And sometimes the frustrations we feel in life will simply be because we're not getting what we want. And as we think about that, we have to remember that's really not what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is not all about getting what you want. And we're reminded of that in very stark terms in Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. And here, Jesus again speaks to the crowd and says kind of the shocking things in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we know the Bible tells us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And here Jesus is saying to hate our wives. What's going on? And I think in some ways it's a hyperbole or even a cultural way to say you have to choose Jesus over all of those other people and things, even at the end, and your own life. The point of this is not Jesus wanting you to walk around being like, oh, I hate my life. No, he's saying, I want you to choose me even over your own life. That's what it takes to be my disciple. This life is not about you. 
It's about following me. And that's kind of the punchline that section ends at in verse 33, where it says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. To follow Christ, we must say, hey, this life is not mine. My stuff is not mine. Even my family is not ultimately mine. It all belongs to King Jesus, and I am merely his steward, his servant, and I will gladly follow him. And so hopefully that helps us even to be thankful where that's going to eliminate a lot of the unnecessary frustrations in our lives that are really about us not getting what we want, where it's like, hey, my life isn't about what I want. My life is about following Jesus. And then even the things that I deal with in this world will be things that I am trying to defend the honor and promote the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. Well, finally, let's wrap up with a good section of Job today, Job 25 through 30. And in chapter 25, we see the last time of the three friends of Job. We're going to meet one more, kind of a younger person that was there watching all this. But the last time one of the three friends will speak, and that's Bildad, kind of saying more things along the same lines. But then Job starts to talk again, and he says some amazing things. Chapter 26, he he says some amazing things about the greatness and the majesty of God. Chapter 27, he does say, you know, hey, at some point, even though as Job has said now many times throughout the book, the wicked do prosper. God is eventually going to take care of them. Uh, but one thing that I'd like to point out maybe is most helpful for us from this reading today is chapter 28, where Job talks about wisdom and how you can't buy it. You can't just dig for it like you can for silver or gold. Uh, but in verse 23, he says, God understands the way to it. He knows its place. And then he summarizes it at the very last verse, Job 28, 28. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And so even again, as we step back and look at the world and all the things that can be frustrating in the world, and we try to imagine how do we respond wisely to all that, remember Job 28, 28, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So may we be people who fear the Lord and turn away from evil, but also people that don't forget his benefits and live lives of thanksgiving to him, even in a frustrating world. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.